Valentine's Day. Wow, that's great. And the pulpit is doing it again, but that's all right. If you're going to do that, let's do it in the beginning of the sermon and not in the middle. Thank you. All right. By the way, this is not Valentine's Day. It is St. Valentine's Day because this is actually named after a saint. This is one of the, the feast days that's been going on for many, many years. I'm going to tell you all about it. It's a little difficult to come up with the actual 100% story because there are actually three saints named Valentine, all right? But we believe that the one that this is really about uh, is, and they've, there's some depictions. As a matter of fact, let me show you. Here's a, here's a kind of a picture of St. Valentine, but then there's also this picture. Let me show you this next one. And um, I like that one. And the next one, we'll see that. Yeah, good. And uh, then there's another one. I got these off the internet. Um, this is definitely not St. Valentine. Take a look at this one. Uh, you know, that's not St. Valentine. <laughs> but um, some people see this. Thing, so, so let's see the next one. Yeah, he, kind of an older guy right there. And uh, this is the final one right here. We'll keep that up for a little while. Okay. Got all these off the internet. These are all... Um, stained glass windows and drawings over the, the centuries of Saint Valentine. So let me give you a little background for Saint Valentine. It goes way back into the third century during the reign of Emperor Claudius. Now Emperor Claudius was one of the emperors of the Roman Empire. He had this, this strange notion that his soldiers would be better off if they weren't married. They should be single because then they could give their whole dedication to the army. And so he forbid his, his soldiers from getting married. Now, there was a priest at the time whose last name was Valentine, right? And he believed in the sanctity of marriage. And so what he did is, is he would secretly marry these soldiers to, to, their, to their loved ones and to their betrothed. And, and when Claudius found out, he had Valentine arrested. And when Valentine would not renounce what he was doing and would not renounce his faith, he had Valentine executed on February 14th. So, today when you celebrate, you're not celebrating the birth of a saint, you're celebrating his gory, brutal execution. And if that throws a damper on some of your intentions later on today, I don't think it will. Knowing most of you, it won't matter at all to you what you're going to do. But that's really what this is about. This is a celebration of his execution. Now, legend also tells us that, uh, and by the way, it's about the year 270. Been a while. We also have the story that uh, while he was in prison awaiting his execution, he, had, he actually fell in love because the, the jailer's daughter would come and meet with him and bring him food, and he actually fell in love with her and began to write love notes to her and she back to him. And the, one of the very last notes that he wrote to her, he wrote and said, you know, he knew he was facing execution, how much he loved her. And he signed it, from your Valentine. And that has been the signature of lovers to one another on this day for, what, 1,700 years. Amazing. Now, how it got to be a feast day was of several centuries later, the, uh, the Pope was trying to take all of the, the pagans and turn them into Christians. And of course, when the, the pagans came into the church, they brought a lot of their own um, celebrations. We already know that, that Christmas, of course, on the 25th, we talk about this every year, we don't really know when Jesus was born, but it happened to be a pagan feast day, and so the Pope just said, hey, you know what, let's just turn it into the celebration of the birth of Jesus, and that's how Christmas came to be. Well, Valentine's Day is pretty much the same thing because there was a pagan celebration, kind of a fertility rite and of spring coming up that was celebrated on February 15th every year. 
and the Pope is smart enough to know that he can't just stop it, so what you do is instead of stopping it, you, you kind of exchange it. He said, hey, let's not do this anymore. What we'll do is, around the same time, we will celebrate love on February 14th, the anniversary, if you will, of the execution of St. Valentine, and everybody said, okay, we'll do that. They were willing to give up their pagan practices to embrace this one. Then over the centuries, people began to send cards back and forth, and the next thing you know, boom, Valentine's Day, the way we know it, that celebration of love and all the incredible poems that we have written celebrating love. Let me show you. Elizabeth Barrett Brown, and you've heard it before, you probably have never seen How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee, I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach. When feeling out of sight for the ends of being and ideal grace, let's move on. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my life. And if God choose, I shall love, I shall but love thee better after death. Ooh. How about this one from Lord Byron? She walks in beauty like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies and all that's best of dark and bright meet in her aspect and her eyes. A love poem. A more modern expression probably comes from Huey Lewis in the News. Let's see that one right there. <laughs> the power of love is a curious thing. Make one man weep, make another man sing. Change a hawk into a little white dove more than a feeling. That's the power of love. And all of you are thinking of you know, Back to the Future and the whole bit. Yeah. You know, um, in more modern times, there's even a recent one. This one's by John Legend. And this is interesting because I don't listen to uh, much music. When I listen to the radio, I hate to tell you this, some of you may be upset. I generally listen to NPR when I'm listening to the, to the radio in the car. But when Chelsea is with me, she is punching around all of her stations. And I was listening to this one, John Legend, and he, he, this song's just recent. It's incredible, because all of me loves all of you. Love your curves and all your edges. This next line is great. All your perfect imperfections. Whoa. Give your all to me, I'll give my all to you. You're my end and my beginning. Even when I lose, I'm winning, because I give you all of me, you give me all of you, friends. That is about as close as you're going to get to biblical love out there in the secular world. Now, let me give you one of the worst ones right here. It's for my generation. The door's about 1969. Here it is. <sighs> Hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? <laughs> this is a person with serious commitment issues. <laughs> All right, sit back, relax, because I want to read for you a great love story. It starts this way. They were on their way to Jerusalem when Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Now let's stop right there. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. His disciples are astonished and the people are afraid. You know why? Because Jesus already told them many times, when I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be convicted, I'm going to be executed. The disciples are shocked that he's going to go to Jerusalem. Would you go to Jerusalem if you knew that that's what was going to happen? The people were afraid because they didn't want this to happen. And here it is. This is the greatest love story. Sit back, listen. And he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him 
and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. And while that may not stir in you the same emotions as some of the songs we looked at, you just heard the greatest love story you will ever hear. And if I could get anybody to take these exact words and to put them to a melody that would make sense, this would be a great love song. We're right in the middle of a series called um, On the Road to Easter. If you're new here today, if this is your first time, what we generally do is we take an idea and we kind of make a series out of it. Sometimes they're short, three or four weeks. Sometimes they're longer. This one's a little bit longer because what we've done is we've taken the second half of the book of Mark and we're kind of following Jesus' movement all the way to Easter, which is coming up in about, what, five or six weeks from today. The first eight chapters of the book of Mark are all about, they take about three years to go through, and they're all about Jesus trying to get his disciples to understand who he is. He does lots of things. People are going, who is this guy? What's going on? He controls the weather. He, he heals. And people are going, who is he? Who is he? Who is he? And finally, his disciples, after about three years of being with him, when Jesus says, okay, now who am I? They're way up at a place called Caesarea Philippi, which is way north of Jerusalem. And Peter looks and says, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, okay, finally, you got it. Took three years, but you got it. Then he immediately begins to make his way down from Caesarea Philippi, down through Galilee, down through Judea, He's going to wind up in Jerusalem where, as he's already said, he's going to be executed. He's going to be arrested, tried, convicted, executed, then he'll rise again. It's only going to take three or four or five weeks for him to make that journey from Caesarea Philippi down. And all we're doing for, the, for this next series, we've been doing it for several weeks. All those are on the, on the website if you want to take a look at that, all the podcasts. All we're going to be doing is tracing his journey down and see what he's got to say. Because during that time, he's going to reveal, he's already revealed who he is. Now what he's going to reveal is, is really what he came to do and what he wants us to do. It took three years for them to get this into their head who he was. He's only got about four, five, or six weeks at the most to get into their heads what Jesus is going to do and then what he wants us to do as well. And it kind of boils down to something very simple. We've said it before. Jesus came to give his life away and receive it back again. We call that his death and resurrection. And he looks at us and says, I want you to do exactly the same. I want you to give your life away and receive it back again. We call that salvation and eternal life. Okay? So far, so good. You know where we are? The passage that we're at today is really, really appropriate for Valentine's Day. It just worked out that way. When I was mapping this whole thing, I was, man, that's great. What a passage to be preaching on Valentine's Day. Once again, Jesus reminded the disciples what he was going to do, what's going to happen. I hope that um, someone shows you how much they, they love you. Somehow, some way. I mean, it doesn't have to be a big thing. And I hope that also you take a little time to demonstrate to the people around you how much you love them. If, if you haven't done that yet, you have lots of time today. Don't worry about it. And it can just be something as simple as something you say or it can be elaborate and whatever it is somehow you have to show the people you love them and you have to be shown you are loved but even if you are forgotten this day and I fear that maybe some of of you have been even if you were forgotten on this day I want you to remember this here we go this is what the scripture is telling us right here the death and resurrection of Jesus shows me how deeply I am loved see this is I don't know how people express love to you or how you express love to other people. In fact, there have been studies that say that there's five love languages out there and, 
and each one has their own way of expressing and receiving that love to express it. And I don't know how that's going to work for you. Um, could be candy, uh, whatever you're going to do to express that love. But this right here. The death and resurrection of Jesus shows me how deeply there is no expression that's ever going to be given to you anywhere at any time deeper than this. You may have a love language of words. You may have a love language of feeling. You may have a love language of, of activities. There's all kinds of... Do you know what Jesus' love language is? The cross. That's his love language. That's when he looks at you and me and he says, let me show you how much I love you. It was his love that held him there, not our sin. Take a look at this passage. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. In other words, okay... You might sacrifice your life for some great guy, but would you really sacrifice your life for some creep? Most of us probably wouldn't. Jesus would. Jesus did. When we were still apart from God, sinners, broken, still reveling in our sin, still going the direction we wanted to go, because that's what sin really is, Still saying, God, I don't want you in my... I just, you can watch, but I want to do my own thing. When we were still that way in our mind, Jesus Christ died for each one of us. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How will you demonstrate your love for the people around you this day and in the days to come? How will those people demonstrate their love for you this day and in the days to come? I don't know. It's going to be different for each person. I hope it works for you. But nobody, I mean nobody, is ever going to show you how much they love you more than Jesus Christ giving up his life, not because he's mad at you or because he hates you or because he has to, but because he loves you that much. I know that there's a theology out there that says that uh, God is so angry with the world that, that he hates it all. You know, he just, and he just can't wait until it's all done and, 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 and he blows the whole place up and he sends those sinners to hell. It used to be very, very prevalent, by the way. It's still out there today. There used to be a time that it was a very predominant idea within the church. A very famous sermon was called Sinners in the hands of an angry God. And here's where the preacher stood up there and he berated everybody in the church and told them how much God hates them and how angry they were and that he's just ready right now to open up the gates of hell and suck them right down in there. It was said that when this was preached, the people listening to it held on to the pew in front of them so hard that the knuckles turned white lest they fall into hell at that very moment. Yeah, goodness. It's just not true. Never was, still isn't. Nothing could be further than the truth. God doesn't hate the world. He loves the world. How do we know this? Because that's what the Bible says. Take a look. For God so hated the world. No, it didn't say that. I got that wrong. Sorry about that. For God so, say it with me, loved the world. Boom. Okay, 
can it be any clearer? I don't understand where this, this misunderstanding comes from. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God doesn't hate you. He loves you. There may be things that we're doing that break His heart. He may be disappointed in some of the things, but He doesn't hate you. He has never hated you. He never will hate you. He loves you. And He loves you so much that He gave His Son just for you. And this is a great thing to remember as we look at the world because right now in the world, sometimes there's a lot of anger. We see the direction things are going. Either our government is going, the world is going, our culture is going. We get really, really angry. And that real anger turns sometimes into hate. And we can just hardly wait until God in His righteous anger comes and He just wipes out all those evil people and all that evil culture and that evil government and just reestablishes love. And we can hardly wait until it happens. And that's not true. There is a day coming when God will put an end to it all, but it's not a day really to look forward to. God doesn't want to punish anybody. He doesn't want to lose anybody. He doesn't hate anybody. That will be a day that those of us who know Him will celebrate because it's the beginning of our eternity, but at the same time it will be a bittersweet day because then there will be people who have never received Him who will have to face the consequences of their choice, but not because God hates them, he doesn't hate the world. He doesn't hate the culture. He loves us. He wants it to be redeemed. Not destroyed. And you see the difference? When you see the people who are out there, even the enemies of the United States or the enemies for whatever political party or whatever it is, God doesn't want them destroyed. He wants them redeemed. Our prayer isn't for God to get in there and destroy. Our prayer is for God to get in and redeem to change hearts and minds, to bring them back to Himself. Because God loves them so much that He gave His one and only Son that they might be redeemed and brought back to Him. And by now, I think there's a lot of confusion about love, particularly in this day. I mean, we've seen the love songs and everything else, and you listen to the to the radio and you watch the movies and um and the reason there's a lot of confusion about what love really is is because uh, satan you, you understand satan can't create anything okay sometimes i think we get this crazy idea that that god and satan are almost equal and that god creates things and satan creates things and they kind of fight each nonsense satan is a created being okay he can't create anything any more than angels can do that kind of thing what Satan does is he takes good things that God has created and what does he do with them? He twists them. He perverts them. He takes something that's good and right and proper and noble that God has created and he just puts a little twist on it. That's why there's so much confusion about love. Satan can't create love. What he does is he takes love and he twists it. Which is why, again, this passage is so important for us, particularly in this day. Ready? Because for this reason right here. The death and resurrection of Jesus shows me just what love really is. Satan is going to do his best. The enemy does his very best to kind of twist it in our minds and to say, this is what love is like, and it's like this, and if someone doesn't treat you this way, they don't love you, and if you don't feel this within your heart, then you don't love them. And he twists everything, but Jesus says, no, no, let me you what love is really like. Let me show you love. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ show us what love is. This is what Scripture says. This is how we know what love is. Again, 
Can that be any clearer? Sometimes in, when you're looking at Scripture, you kind of go, now what does that really mean? You have to kind of interpret. There are some places, that, come on guys, this is what we know love really is. You know what that means? It means this is what we know love really is. So here it is. I'm going to describe it for you right here. What is love? Boom, here it is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we had to lay down our lives for our brothers. Stop right there. Anything about flowers? Candy? Sex? Romance? I'm not speaking against any of those things. Just saying, Bible's pretty clear. We know what love is like. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how does the love of God... If we don't move to action, it isn't love. He goes on to say this. Dear children, let us love with word, not with, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. Love is really not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Love is an action. There's no action, there's no love. Ready? Write this down. In case you didn't know, it's very important. Sex is not love. And unfortunately, in our society, we've kind of, we even have the phrase, are you ready? We call it making love. Well, I, I suppose that's a gentle way to describe it. But doesn't it kind of confuse us a little in our head that that's love? When in fact, biological urge and need that you have. Nothing wrong with it. But is it love? But I really would hope not because I've known many, many people who got to an age in their life. I remember sitting down with this wonderful couple. They were both, what, 95. Amazing. They couldn't see. They were both blind and, and they'd been together for, what, 70 years or more? Sexual activity was a thing long past. So would we say they don't love each other anymore? If so, then you misunderstand it. How about this, though? Romance isn't love either. And here's where we get. Now, you look at the songs, you look at the movies, you listen to it. Romance is love. But it's not. You can be romantic, you can just set a romantic mood with somebody that you don't even love. And you can be in love with someone that you don't feel romantic about. In fact, you really just want to give them what for at the moment. And still love them dearly. Absolutely. Let me tell you something about the physiology of love, okay? I'm going to blow some, some long-held uh, ideas. And this is going to sound very clinical for you, and, and it is kind of clinical. But here it is. You can go on the, res on the web, do the research. It's very interesting because they've studied. Because love isn't that type of thing that you can see. We know it exists, but how do you know and where do you see it? It's, it's there, but how do you know it really exists? Well, they, they did a study on people's brains who are first in love. It's amazing what happens to them. Now, the mystical part is why you fall in love with a person and not somebody else. Now, that's the mystical side. I know there's a mystical side, so I don't want to you know, just bring it all into science and black and white. There is a mystery to this whole thing. But once you fall in love with that individual, there's something that happens in your brain, and you begin to become um, mentally uh, disturbed, is the best way to put it. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. For instance, they, they did this, this study on people's brains and all of their, their chemical makeup. Here's what they came up with. Now, when you're first in love, that the, the brain chemicals match the people 
who suffer from a disorder called OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. We can take a look at those brains and we can see certain levels of, of chemicals in them. And so we can say this person's is OCD, which means that they're obsessed with something. When you're first in love, your brain matches OCD brains, which is why you can't stop thinking about the other person because you have become obsessive compulsive about them. You have a mental disorder, okay? It's called love. Sorry, but that's the way it works. I told you I was going to blow something. What happens then is eventually, now if you have true OCD, your brain chemistry stays that way. Once you're in love, what eventually happens is after you kind of get over this obsessive compulsion, your brain chemistry goes back to normal. So the big question is, are you still committed to that person now that you're sane? <laughs> and if so, yeah, you've done well. But what happens is a lot of people, that, that chemical reaction goes away. They're no longer obsessive-compulsive about the person. They move on to the next person. That's the physiology of love. That's why romance isn't in love. It's chemicals in your brain. And there was nothing romantic about the cross. Jesus didn't have warm, fuzzy feelings for us. He didn't want to sit down over a candle at dinner and gaze into our eyes. He just hurt and bled and died. You see, here it is, here it is. If love doesn't compel me to sacrificial action, it isn't really love. And I don't mean romantic action. I don't mean the flowers and the candy or the whatever, how you express. If love does not compel me to sacrificial action, it isn't really love. And any of the single women who are sitting in this place right now, and if there are any teenage girls who are sitting, man, I need you to hear this so completely and totally. If the man that you're interested in is not interested in sacrificial action for you, run, baby, run. If all he's interested in is romance, run, baby, run. Because it's his brain chemistry that's taken over and other areas of his life and body. Run, baby, run. But when you find some man who's willing to wait, who's willing to honor you, who's willing to sacrifice for you, you might have something there. Take a look at this passage. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Okay, what is love? Love is a sacrificial action for us. How do we know what love is? Because God sacrificed for us. Because Jesus was willing to sacrifice for us. That is love. Goes on. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Let's stop right there for just a moment. Did you understand? What is love? 
Now, oh boy, I don't, I don't mean to be a killjoy today and ruin your fun for the rest of the day, all right? <laughs> Go have a great time, enjoy romance, and enjoy the gifts, enjoy all that kind of stuff. That's wonderful, it's fine. But don't confuse it with love. Sometimes what we do in St. Valley, we've, we've turned it into a celebration of love. L-U-V as in, I love you, baby. That's Valentine's Day. When in fact, it was originally intended, and it's a good reminder that it's love, L-O-V-E, as in God so loved the world that he gave. If you haven't purchased the flowers and the candy yet, or if maybe that's not your thing, then I'll tell you what you could do, is you could start thinking about the people you do love. Your spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, parents, kids, and say, how can I sacrificially love them? What can I do today that would be a sacrifice on my part that would show them how much I love? Men, for some of us, it would be as simple as doing the dishes, which for some of us is a sacrificial act. <laughs> and your wife would go, then she would rearrange the dishwasher because she didn't do it right, but that's okay. <laughs> Believe me, she won't mind. She won't mind. She'll just say, I'm so glad he did it, you know? Something. Doesn't have to be flowers. As a matter of fact, I'm not certain that flowers really show a sacrificial love. And I'm not certain what a box of candy represents about sacrifice. Good romance, and it's okay to do, and it's wonderful. But that doesn't mean it's love. But did you see right here? This is, this is really, God turns so much of what we do on, on its head. And we, we love that, as a matter of fact, because what we expect doesn't really happen. What happens is God takes what we expect and bumps it all around. And it's right there, right there, okay? Because normally we would do this. Um, uh, I scratch your back, what? You scratch mine, you know, something like that. I love you, you love me, that kind of, here's what it says. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love God right back. Isn't that something? That's what we think it should say, because that's what fits our mind. And yet, what does it say? Dear friends, since God so loved us, read it with me, we also ought to love one another. How interesting, isn't it? God says, okay, I love you so much now. Love each other. You would think he would say, I love you so much, why don't you love me back? And instead, he says, I love you so much now. Because I love you and I love you and I love you, turn around, everybody is really lovely, aren't they? Because I love them. And if they're really lovely, you love them too. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Which brings us to the very final thing. The very best way that I can show that I can love Jesus is by sacrificing, I put this word in here, my ego, for the sake of others. I could have said something like, very simple, the very best way that I can, I can love Jesus is by loving those around me, except we don't really know what love is. Again, we still think it's romance, which is one of the reasons, by the way, men have trouble in the church, because we talk about the love of God so much. You know, let's love Jesus, and let's love one another, and a lot of men are going, man, give me a break because it's so touchy-feely, geeky kind of stuff, and I'm not touchy-feely, geeky. But that's not love. Haven't we just shown you? See, the problem is what's happened is, is the enemy has turned our minds about love, and love is this touchy-feely, romantic, what I feel kind of thing, and since I don't feel that and, I, and I'm not there, then I'm, I don't want to love. 
and I want to hear about it. But love isn't that touchy-feely inner kind of thing. Love is sacrificially giving for the people around you. It's when you take your time to go down to the mission and feed the homeless, now you're loving. It's when you take your time to work with a group of young men and help them understand what it means to walk with Jesus Christ, now you're loving. That's love. Let me show you how we know this. It's actually from this very passage as we're uh, moving on here. Jesus called them together, and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentile lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here's what Jesus said. Look, if you think love, and you think there's thing is where people serve you, but I'm trying to tell you it doesn't work that way. I need you to serve other people. Let me tell you the backstory, because it happened just after Jesus told them all about the fact that he was going to go to Jerusalem. The greatest story I already read for you, and he's going to be handed over to the, uh, to the uh, um, high priest, and he's going to be arrested and convicted and crucified. Right after that, they're walking down the road, and they meet together, and two of the disciples come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And Jesus says... What do you want me to do for you? Now, keep that in mind, because next week, that's going to be very, very important. When we come back to continue this series, those two questions, we want you to do whatever we ask, and Jesus saying, what do you want me to do, will be incredibly important, but I'll tell you about that next week. This morning, it was their request. Jesus, we want to sit one on your right and one on your left. Make us the two most important disciples the world has ever seen. You can imagine the other ten disciples were not pleased with this request. And Jesus says to them, you don't even know what you're asking. Do you think you can actually follow me? And they say, oh, yeah, 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 we can do it. And Jesus said, well, first of all, you have no idea what you're talking about. But second, it's not mine to give. Don't worry about it. And then he pulls them all together, and then he says this. He talks about being great. And he says, if you're really going to be great, you're going to serve one another. Because that's what it means to really love. It's not about the romance, and it's not about the sex, it's not about these other things. It is about giving our lives to one another in a sacrificial way and God says, you know what we call that? We call that love. Let me read some scriptures for you, then we'll be done. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he, whom he has seen, who he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. But we're not talking about touchy-feely romantic stuff. We're talking about sacrificial giving on behalf of one another. Jesus himself said this, but my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends.
That's love. Now, I understand that's not what Valentine's Day is celebrating. I understand that Valentine's Day doesn't really talk about this, except maybe in some poem or whatever. Valentine's Day is far more about romance and emotional love and your brain chemistry going wacko, things like that. That's Valentine's Day as it's kind of turned into being, I hope you have a good time, there's nothing wrong with it. God bless you, let your brain chemistry go crazy before the day's out. But don't call it love. Love is sacrificial giving, just as God sacrificed for us. We sacrifice. And you know where it's going to start? It's going to start right in your home. When you go home today, it's going to start with your spouse, with your wife, with your husband. It's going to start with your kids. It's going to start with your parents. It's going to start right there. Because if we can't get it right there, in those four walls that surround us, we can't get it right out here. It starts there. It's where we learn how to do it. Then we come here and do it some more. Then we go out there and we do it some more. So could we make that commitment today to start to love sacrificially something, one thing, today? You don't, and you don't have to call attention to it. didn't say, hey, did you see I sacrificed for you? What do you think, huh? Pretty good. How about you just do it and let God, through his spirit, explain it. Father, St. <laughs> Valentine's Day, a man who was so committed to, to marriage that he actually defied the law, Father, and gave up his life. And we've turned it into a, a fun romantic, and Father, we know there's nothing wrong with that. Thank you for the fun and for the romance and the brain chemistry and the everything else that, that actually brings life some spice and enjoyment. And Father, thank you. But Jesus, you've shown us what love really is and we want to be able to grow up in you so that it isn't the romance we're expecting, but it is the sacrificial giving that defines our love. So today, right now, as we continue in this time, we give you a few moments to speak to our hearts. Spirit, would you reveal one thing that we could do this day? just to remind the people around us how much we love them through a sacrifice of giving, our time, our attention, whatever it is, Father. Spirit, speak to our hearts, and we'll do it in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're moving into what we call Selah. Selah just means think about it, and it just, we're going to give you about five minutes or so to to listen to what the Spirit is saying. And during that time, the altars are open if you want to come and, and kneel in prayer. But we're also going to have our, um, our communion elements available. And by the way, this is, if you think a rose or a box of candy is an emblem of love, you're wrong. The emblem of love, the cross right there, and the broken body, and the shed blood, that's more love than all the roses you're going to get, all the candy you're going to eat. This won't make you fat. This makes you whole. 
And we serve what's called open communion, which means that you can be a first-time visitor, and we may have some first-time visitors. If you're a first-time visitor, my name's Doug Bailey, lead pastor. Great to meet you. Love to see you after service. You're welcome to receive the elements. We don't have any kind of classes you need to go through. That's between you and the Lord. Would those who are going to help me serve, would they come forward, please? And in the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. In the same way after supper, he took the cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant. My blood shed for forgiveness of sins. For as often as you do eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you do remember the Lord's death till he come again. I hope you get roses, flowers, candy, whatever it is. It would be wonderful today. This is a symbol of love. Enjoy it this morning. Thank you, Father.